Uh, good morning. You know, I'm Norman, and this is what you get today. So uh, we'll go from here. Um, <clears throat> this is the Advent season. It's a time when we are to prepare for the coming of the Savior. And in um, uh, no, every February or so, we have an, a season uh, of Lent where we give up something and um, that we enjoy uh, to identify with the suffering of our Lord, which kind of gets us ready for Easter and, and Good Friday. But unfortunately, during Advent, uh, we shop and cook and decorate and party, and we don't prepare as well as we do, I think, for Easter. So we need to be preparing our minds and hearts uh, for this season, and we do that by considering why he came. So we know that Jesus, uh, because John tells us in chapter 1, beginning with verse 12, he became flesh and dwelt among us. He came to his own. Of course, he was saying there that he came to the Jews, and uh, but they did not receive him as their Messiah. They're still looking for the Messiah. Matthew and Luke tells us that where he came, we know he came to a little town of Bethlehem. It tells us how he came. He came wrapped in swaddling clothes, born of a virgin mother, on a cold winter night in the poorest of shelters, born in a stable, in a stable with a manger for a bed. So that's, that's how he came, and, and, uh, but we want to talk this morning about why he came. If you have a worship guide, if you don't, we'll get you one, but if you have a worship guide, the first bullet point there is that he came down to our level. He came to us because we could not get to him. A big difference in, between religions of this world and Christianity is that all the religions have man trying to earn, to find, to seek, to satisfy their gods. In fact, you remember just a couple of weeks ago in Acts, uh, Ed was talking about Paul being in Athens and, and saw a monument to an unknown God and tried to explain to them that, that God is not unknown. He's the God of revelation. He's the God who came down to us. Unfortunately, we have the idea that, that God is afar off. There's probably some reason for that. I, there's a town in Kentucky called Millersburg, and several years ago, the church there got a new pastor. And uh, this pastor, before he, well, they, he'd pray before he preached, and he'd kneel by the pulpit. And uh, the longer he'd pray, the louder he'd get. And he had a tendency to pray for a long time. So he got real loud by the time he said amen. And he'd been there about three months or so. And a couple of the men from the church went to talk to him and said, Now, Pastor, it's, we're, we're enjoying you and your ministry. But when, when you pray, you, you get louder the longer you pray. And it gets kind of uncomfortable by the end. And we don't believe that God is deaf or 
or that God is dead and we don't see any reason for you praying so loud. And he said, well, I don't think God is deaf. I don't think God is dead either. But after being here three months, I think he's a long way from Millersburg. And so uh, sometimes it's, it's, uh, it's us that makes us, you know, why would he be close to us? But nevertheless, he is. And he, he came to us. And uh, the Bible says that in, in what I read, or what I'm going to read to you in, uh, out of John's gospel, uh, in those verses 1, uh, 14 through 18, and uh, he tells us there that uh, the law of Moses was given to prove to us that none of us can succeed in finding him and satisfying him, not by keeping rules. Or Man is incapable of getting up to God. So God came to us. John says Jesus moved into our neighborhood. His name is Emmanuel which means God with us. Verse 18 of John uh, 1 says that no one has seen God at any time until Jesus declared him among us. Remember the shepherds, the message to them, as James has already related to you this morning, those shepherds out in the field, the message to them was the Savior has come. To us down to us he came to us because we could not get to him another bullet point is that not only did he come down to our level but he also came to live the bible teaches that god is three persons the trinity god father Holy Spirit, I know that's above and beyond our ability to comprehend. Probably the best example of that is water. Water can be liquid. It can be ice, solid. It can be boiled and steamed, but it's in all three forms, it's still water. And that's what the Bible means, that God is a God. God is God in whatever form he appears so there's the role, one of God's roles is the Son, Jesus, the Savior. And that includes being like us, the Messiah, the Lamb, the High Priest, the Mediator. All, all of these, he had to come and live like we live, experience what we live, what, what we experience. He, he had to qualify himself to be the lamb. He had to qualify himself to be our high priest. He had to qualify himself to be our mediator. So Jesus came to live among us. Jesus, you know, was born in a manger as a baby. Started out with a milk diet, totally dependent. I had to learn to walk. I had to learn to talk. Jesus was a little kid with measles, chicken pox, bruises, Charlie Brown band-aids on his knees. Jesus was a teenager. You know, teenagers think they know it all. 
but they still had to put up with their parents. Jesus didn't know it all and had to put up with parents. Jesus had acne. Jesus was a teenager. Hmm. Jesus was a carpenter by trade. Jesus had to build cabinets to suit a housewife. Duh. He had to come and live like we live. 30 years of, of preparation, of living on this earth, in the flesh, preparing himself to be the lamb that could take away our sins, preparing himself to be our high priest, to be our mediator. That's why for 40 days he went through intense temptation. Hebrews chapter 5 says, Jesus can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is also beset by weakness. He did that so he could identify with us. He came to dwell among us, to be like us. He could not have been born one day and die the next, and that qualify him to be a lamb without blemish. He had to experience all that we experience. He had to eat vegetables. He had to be put in time out. Struggle. Let me give you an example of that. Have you ever went through something that was difficult for you? It could have been your dog died, but, but something was really bothering you. And, and someone comes up to you and puts their arm around you and says, I know what you're going through. And you don't say, no, you don't. We're all different. We don't all grieve the same. You may have a dog to die too, but we don't handle that the same. So you don't know what I'm going through. And that, that's true. In fact, we're better off if we just put our arm around them and say nothing. Just let them know we're here. But, but don't say, I know what you're going through, because we really don't. But Jesus does. Jesus knows what we're going through. He's been there on the deepest of levels. Jesus is the one who created us. You want to know who knows your psyche? The one who created it. He knows how you go through things. You want to talk about being sad? He's been there. Lonely. On the cross when he cried out, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? Forsakenness, scared, hungry, tired, broke. He never had a place to lay his head. Broken, jealous, you name it, he knows. His name is Emmanuel. He prepared himself by being like us. Lamb without sin, became sin. And as a high priest, experiencing all, everything we ever go through so he could identify with us. And then as a mediator, sometimes we forget that, that the work on the cross didn't end. I mean, Jesus didn't stop there, but 
He went back to the Father and sits on the right hand of the Father. And there he's our mediator. I'll tell you more about that a little bit later. But he's still working on our behalf. He came to live among us. I, there's an old story about a woman who was preparing for Christmas Eve service and her and her children left to go to church and the husband didn't go because he didn't believe in that stuff. And they were all gone and it was snowing and it was cold and the wind was blowing and, and he heard a strange sound and it sounded like maybe somebody was throwing snowballs against his house. They went to investigate and in fact, it was birds who were confused by the weather flying into his windows to try to find shelter. He was moved by that. They had a little barn out back, so he put on enough clothes. He went out and he opened the barn door so those birds would fly in there and, and be safe. But the birds were afraid of him, so they didn't go in the barn. So he was frustrated about that. And then he said, those birds are surely hungry. So he went in the house and he got bread and he made a, a walkway of dropping breadcrumbs right to the barn door. So those birds would certainly eat their way into shelter. But they were scared of him and they'd eat a little bit of the bread, but they wouldn't go in the barn. Frustrated by that, he just cried out and said, if I could only become a bird and speak their language and they could identify with me and they'd follow me in the shelter. And then he fell to his knees because he realized that's why he was in church, why his wife was in church. Because that's what we believe, that Jesus came to be one of us, to help us. Alan Levi Y'all know Alan Levi? You should. Alan Levi is a local treasure for us, a great songwriter. And he, he wrote a song about a town where everybody walked backwards. And they'd run into things. They always had concussions because they'd run into something. And, and many of them committed suicide by falling off cliffs. And finally, one day, a guy showed up in, in that town who walked forward. That was strange. They said, that's interesting because he never runs into anything. And he never falls off cliffs. But it was too strange for them. And they just continued to walk backwards and fall off cliffs. Jesus came to, for us who are walking backwards to show us you can walk forward. It's safer. That's why he came. He came to be like us. So he has the right to identify with us. So he came down to our level because we couldn't get up to him. Couldn't earn that. He came to live so he could qualify himself as the lamb, as our high priest, and as our mediator. But he also came to die. The Bible says the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. So that simply means that before the world was ever made, it was decided 
that the Savior, the Son, would one day have to die. They have to pay the wages of sin, and those wages are death. Sometime that time would come. And Jesus was there in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned and, and realized their nakedness and tried to cover themselves up with fig leaves. But fig leaves didn't work because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And an animal had to be slain so God could cover them with those animal skins. Jesus knew then he had to die. To cover our sin. Isaiah 53 says. He would suffer for our transgressions. He would be crushed. For our iniquities. Let me call your attention to Mark 14. In the 14th chapter of Mark. Is the story of. The Passover feast in Jesus day. And it says in there that. On the first day of Passover, the unleavened bread, which was customary for the sacrifice of the Passover lamb. And Jesus told his disciples, he said, you follow this certain man, you'll be able to tell who he is. And, and you follow that man and find him. And he'll lead you to the room where we'll have the Passover feast and, and get that place ready. And in verse 22, it says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he said, eat, because this is my body, which is about to be broken for you. And then, of course, he took the cup. He blessed it. And he said, drink, because this is my blood. It will be shed for you. And then it says they sung a hymn. And they went out to the Mount of Olives, the usual place is what Luke says. It was Gethsemane. We should have this on the screen. I'm not good at following that. I just preach. But um, it, the, per, the right pronunciation for Gethsemane is what we call it. But the right pronunciation is, is Gat. G-A-T-T, -T, that's the word for olive. And sheminine, which is the word for press. So after they sung a hymn, they went out in that olive garden. You remember when Jesus was born, they had no place for him, no room for him. And he had to be born in a manger. Now he's about to die and he's in Jerusalem. But everybody's there for the feast and they have no place for him. They have to camp out in, the, in a garden. And in this garden, this, in the harvest, this was an olive press. In the fall, they, those, those olives were, were very hard, and they had to press them. If you got grapes, you can just walk on them barefoot, and juice will run out. Not true with olives. They have to be crushed. And right in, in the shadows of this olive press, is where Jesus took two, three of his disciples because in the original Passover, when they were led out of Egypt, that was a night of watching. And he took these three men with him and said, you watch while I pray. 
And in the shadows of that olive press is where he prayed. And the Bible says, sweat drops of blood and said, take this cup from me. This cup was the olive press. He would be crushed for our iniquities. I've heard people say, you smashed the smithereens. That smithereen sounds like a word Ed made up, but, but that's what happened to Jesus. Now, there's several cups in, in the Passover feast. Ed should be telling you this. He knows this better than I. But when they celebrate Passover, they drink one cup, and it's, it's celebrating a, a promise of God, I will take you out of the suffering in Egypt. Then cup two, I will deliver you from bondage. And they drink those cups and celebrate God's keeping his promises. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. They drink that cup and celebrate. A fourth cup, I will protect you. They drink that in celebration of his faithfulness. But there's a fifth cup. It's never used. It's called the Elijah cup. The reason they call it Elijah cup is they believe that Elijah would be the only one who could identify the Messiah when he got there. But if you know, read in John chapter 1, John says it was John the Baptist and not Elijah who said, this is he that's come. But nevertheless, no one could ever drink of that Elijah cup because it was the cup of wrath. It was drinking the death, the sins of the whole world. And Jesus prayed, take this cup from me. The scripture says he was overwhelmed with sorrow in the fullness of time. He knew now that this was the fullness of time. He sweat drops of blood. And then he passed on that fourth cup. That fourth cup is I will protect you. He passed on that cup opted for the fifth cup that he was willing to drink the wrath of God. You remember in Matthew 20, the mother of two of the disciples said, I want one of my sons to sit on this side of you and one of my sons to sit on the other side. And Jesus said, you know what you're asking? Are those two boys going to be able to drink the bitter cup? He knew this was the bitter cup. He came knowingly. He knew, he knew when he came to Bethlehem, he's going to end up at Calvary. He's going to die for us. Came down to our level. Came to live among us to qualify himself as the lamb, as our high priest, as a mediator. But he knew he came to die. To die for our sins. To drink the bitter cup. He was about to be crushed for our iniquities. Now, it's Christmas. It's not, we're not a few days from Good Friday. We're a few days from Christmas. And so I don't want to leave you with that, okay? That uh, thinking about Jesus being crushed to smithereens, although it prepares us. But I, I want us to change now to something a little better. Um, should, yeah, yeah, there you go. 
Those are two, my two grandsons. I have four granddaughters who are birthed by their mother and our daughter-in-law. But these two boys, the oldest one there will be 15 next month. And the other one will be 11 this week. The older one's our son's son, and the younger one is our daughter's only child. They were both adopted. The oldest one was, was um, adopted from Russia. We got him when he was a little over three years old. The youngest one was adopted out of Texas. I don't know if you know what it costed for adoptions. Do you have any idea? I don't know why adoptions are expensive if they are. But I can tell you that those two boys cost $50,000 a piece in fees to get them. That's just fees. That doesn't, that doesn't add, factor in how many trips they made to Russia and flew over there on a plane and stayed for a week or two. And, and it doesn't factor in that the one in Russia had nothing of his own. He was three, so even his underwear had a three on it. It didn't belong to him. It belonged to three-year-olds that lived in that orphanage. It certainly doesn't factor in the fact that he had no medical help and, you know, he was behind in everything and what that was going to cost. It certainly can't factor in all the frustration and pain they went through thinking they had a child and then that went away and then you think you got another one and that goes away. There's no way to put a value on that. Just dollars. It was way over $100,000. But you know, when our family looks at those two boys, we don't see dollar signs. We say it was worth every penny of it. Whatever they cost. Whatever they're going to cost from here on out. It ain't through. <laughs> it gets, you know that. It gets worse. But whatever that cost. Whatever that cost, they're worth it. You know, when the Trinity looks at you, they say, "What? whatever that cost us, being smashed to smithereens, they're worth it. They're worth it. Our family would do that again. The Trinity would do it again just for you. Just for you. James is going to come and sing a song for us to focus on how deep the Father's love. But I want us to think this morning about why he came. In fact, uh, maybe it's who, who he came, who came. But this morning, not many of us, maybe less than five of us, are here this morning with... We need to consider the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. We've never asked him to do that. Never received our Messiah. You do that this morning. Most of us in this room would fall in that category that we need a high priest. 
Jesus went through all of that that he went through living like us so he could identify with us, so he could deal with us, forgive us. He's a great physician, and we don't allow him to do that. And then some of us forget we have a mediator, and we beat ourselves up. We, we punish ourselves for falling short. When actually Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and the Father looks at us and shakes his head and say, why are they afraid? And Jesus said, you don't understand what it's like to be in the flesh. I do. They don't need to be punished. They just need more grace. And so instead of punishing yourself, receive the grace that's sufficient for you. So here's what I want you to do this morning. If you need to be ask God to forgive you your sins, you come. But if you're one of us who just needs to let the high priest be our high priest, take something in your hand. It can be a this worship guide, it could be a pencil, it could be a coin. Just put it in your hand and close your hand. And just think you have a high priest who went through what he did. So you would just open your hand and let it fall on him. Don't go out of here this morning the way you came. Let it go. That's why he came. If you're punishing yourself, don't judge yourself. Just receive all the grace that you need from him. Father, this morning, our desire is that our response to your coming is pleasing to you. So let us ask for forgiveness. Receive all that the high priest has for us or the grace that's sufficient for us, as James sings. Amen.